0: Today's episode contains explicit language and conversations around sex, human anatomy, menstruation, and personal experiences.
1: We advise that you don't listen to this in the company of little ones or anyone who may be uncomfortable with these topics. Hey, sugars, come on in and take a seat. You're listening to The Honey Potluck, a podcast about sex, health, and thriving. I'm your host, B Dixon, co-founder and CEO of The Honeypot Company. And I'm your other host, Javon Althieri, The Honeypot's Director of Digital.
0: Ooh, now let's dig in. Welcome, everybody, to The Honeypot Look. I am Beatrice, and I'm here with Gigi. We're in person. We are
1: in person. Oh, my gosh. We get to look eye to eye. I know, which is interesting, actually. It is. It's 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 weird hearing your voice in my head. Yeah. I I know. know? It's interesting. It is. Yeah, I like it. It, This is a good place for you. Will you just always be in my head? (laughs) (laughs) That's not creepy. (laughs) Whatever. Call it what you want. So
0: welcome, everybody, to the Honey Potluck I'm really excited about this conversation today. I mean, I feel like I'm fucking always excited about all of our conversations.
1: Yeah, that's an intro you use often, but it's good because we we are so excited that we get to talk about vaginas, pleasure, exactly, sex. Exactly, exactly,
0: exactly. And this happens to be a very interesting episode, mm-hmm. right? All about humans with vaginas, the experience of pleasure and pain. And then also... The experience of, like, experiencing all of your bits, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, all of the things.
1: There are a lot of things. There are. And the anatomical nature of your vagina, vulva, like, all of it is so new for all of us. Like, we... Again, I've said this in various ways, but the honeypot was the first time I was like, wow, I need to further investigate all of my bits. Right. And then also <laughs> being able to, like, name them. Exactly.
0: In full transparency, like, I'm not always remembering all the names, to be completely honest. Right. But
1: do you know that there is more than one hole?
0: Absolutely.
1: Right. That is an important distinction because a large swath of humans don't even know, like, from where you pee yeah. is different from your vaginal opening. Absolutely. Like, but, like, if I'm in a
0: conversation.
1: You're not going to be like, don't touch my labia minora. <laughs> <laughs> Get your hands off of my menorah. Yeah, I got you. No, it's true. Because you're just like, this is the vagina or the vulva and, and it's bulb. a vessel. And then
0: the other thing, too, is, like, you're talking to humans who may not necessarily know all of that. And it's not their job to know all of that, right? So, like, it's also, like, creating a space for, let's call it inside your vaginal lips, mm-hmm. right? Because people know what that is. You know what I mean? I totally So sometimes it. it's that, too. And sometimes, you know, I just forget words. I'm not trying to make an excuse for it, but it is a thing.
1: I agree. Well, I think it'll be interesting to learn about how people... Perceive their vagina again like the way that we have limited the expression of vaginas vulvas humans with vaginas in art in a Mm -hmm. way that is authentic to the vast diversity that exists so I think that will be interesting as we get into the conversation with you know pink bits and all of the beautiful art she creates and then conversely with Dr. Grover like this idea of someone coming in to a spa environment and saying, hey, I have this relationship with my vagina and I either want to perfect or evolve that relationship or I think it needs to look a certain way or yeah. feel a certain way. But what's dope is that you have the freedom and then it's
0: 2000 day out, 22. That's right. And you can be like, yo, I need my coochie to look like X, Y, and Z, yes. right? So what yeah. are we doing?
1: What are we doing? <laughs> Well, let's get into it. And let's have this conversation with Pink Bits and Dr. Grover. Let's go.
0: I am so excited to introduce our guests today, Pink Bits and Dr. Monica Grover. Pink Bits is a graphic designer and illustrator based in Sydney, Australia. Her artwork is inspired by and celebrates our bodies in all their glory, illustrating the bits and shapes we're both told and taught to hide and Dr. Monica Grover is a double board certified gynecologist and chief medical officer of v Spot, the first women's intimate health spa focusing on sexual health and wellness.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, So excited to delve into today's topic. We're going to be talking about all things vagina, pain, pleasure, you name it. And we have two phenomenal guests as usual. And so I'd love to pass the mic to Christine. Um, First and foremost, of course, I could go through your list of credentials, but it's always great uh, for you to introduce yourself to our listeners. So please take it.
2: Sure. Hi, my name's Christine, or I also go by Pink Bits on the internet. Uh, I'm an illustrator and creative based in Sydney, Australia, and I'm inspired by creating illustrations around the bits and shapes we've been taught to hide. So that's our physical selves, our bodies, our vaginas, everything, and our non-physical selves. So maybe our identity, our mental health, our sexuality, all these things too.
0: I love that you called it Pink Bits.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Very on brand for today. Yes,
1: that's right. Thank you for being here, Christine. And then we'll pass it over to Dr. Grover if you could please introduce yourself to our listeners.
3: Hi everyone. Um, I'm Dr. Grover. I'm the chief medical officer at the V Spot um, Women's Intimate Health Center out in New York, and I am a double boarded gynecologist. It's very liberating as a doctor to be able to talk to my patients about questions and concerns that they um, sometimes feel a little too shy or just or unsure if they can ask questions in a typical doctor setting. Mm. So um, we really pride ourselves in knowing that you know we can answer and address a lot of the concerns that otherwise they may feel like they're not able to
1: yeah that's wonderful
3: and so needed
1: (laughs) so dr grover what do
0: you think is at the root of humans not thinking that they can ask their doctor a question because like that is the absolute person that you should be asking a question
3: yeah i think that's a very profound question with um and it's very multi-variable um well first I think just culturally, I mean maybe as human beings we're not encouraged to even discuss our sexuality to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. I think it's very cultural as well. And then there's some there's a level of shyness but from both parties between a patient and a doctor to see if like if patients shy about asking a question Sometimes doctors are a little shy about wondering if they are able to ask the question, if the patient's not addressing it. Mm. It's not like we're, we're limiting our patients from asking us these questions. You know, when they come in, we don't say, okay, you can only address certain things, but not other things. Like that's never the case, but I think there's just a societal norm that, you know, maybe we're not encouraged to ask these questions. I think maybe more so recently recently, Probably even because of an involvement of the Me Too movement, um, women are now finding more power and like more um, strength in understanding their sexuality and wanting to address it. So I think that's one component. And to be completely honest with you, like, I don't know how you feel about this, Christine, in Australia, being that it's a different type of healthcare system there, but here in America, Doctors don't want to go into medicine wanting to only practice and see patients for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, We're kind of forced to do that because healthcare in this country is so broken. In a conventional setting, we can only answer certain types of questions and the most pressing concerns. So then patients, like, you know, some of these other underlying sexual health types of questions are then kind of pushed to the back burner, unfortunately. Mm. And I also think there's so much information out there on the Internet. A woman would rather come in sooner for, let's just say she's having abnormal uterine bleeding than having vaginal atrophy, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. One is still as debilitating as the other, but there's more information on vaginal atrophy on the internet than there is, you know, maybe on abnormal uterine bleeding. So that's what would make them want to go see a doctor versus another type of concern. Hmm. yeah.
1: Well, I think it's interesting because the immediate corollary I see in you asking that question, B, is is kind of the intro that Christine provided us in terms of, like, the space and exploration that you're looking at with your art is what has been deemed hidden. Mm -hmm. Just that use of the word hidden is, like, you know, these things we've been taught to hide from, and so that level of intimacy is also hidden from us. And so I think that the languaging aspect when you're walking into a doctor's office, like, you don't know how to name what you're experiencing you're probably still learning certain layers of your sexual experience um and that's Mm. also hard to communicate so i think christine like beyond the obvious of like this is a hidden thing and i want to you know cast and illuminate a light around it but why vaginas or why human anatomy in this deeply intimate way (laughs) as in like why represent and draw?
2: yeah Yeah. Well, I guess like my art came from a very personal place. So it felt very natural to talk about these very personal things. But I also really wanted to, I don't know, like I'm just interested in capturing and illustrating and illuminating these parts of ourselves that are very hidden, but are also like almost forced to be hidden, like socially, culturally. You're forced to be hidden? No, like kind of just in general. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I don't feel like I grew up being or feeling equipped to like go into my adulthood, knowing about my vagina, knowing about my pleasure, knowing about my breadth for pain and pleasure at the same time. Like I don't feel like we're encouraged to really like talk about this part of ourselves. So I was like, I need to create art that people feel seen by represented by feel like they can also be vulnerable in sharing their experiences Mm. and nuances and, what's happened to them or what they've learned or unlearned and all these kinds of things. I think that that's interesting. It's so interesting how
0: we were conditioned. You live in Australia. We live in the States. We're still having the same conversation.
1: Plain and simple. It's it's like a Christian heteronormative kind of approach where it's like, this is how you learn about bodies and sex. And that is all we're (laughs) going to teach you. Because if you learn more, oh my God, you're going to be so empowered to do God knows what. Um, I think that that's, Mm -hmm. you know, it is is a power play in a lot of ways. And I think that that also, you know, inflicts pain and also makes the road to discovering pleasure quite long and arduous. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's very hard to put labels on a certain kind of pain or this general Mm -hmm. notion of being in your body, right? Like that is very esoteric in essence. Um, And I don't think everyone is able to articulate that. So I would love to hear a bit more about like how you guide someone on their journey when they're meeting with you to understand like what kind of problem is at hand or how to empower them from that point forward to come to you in, in kind of a more direct way.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess, um, you know, I've become kind of spoiled by being at the V spot because the whole mission is to empower women to Mm -hmm. speak about this. So being that um, they actually find us to talk about these things, it's not like we have to grasp it from them when they come in. I mean, they're coming in to speak about their vaginal dryness, their vaginal pain, their diminished orgasms, their diminished libido. It makes it very easy for me to open up this conversation. The most, the most intriguing thing to me though is like I often ask them, okay, I know you've been dealing with this for quite some time, but what actually motivated you to come in today? Mm. And um, you know the responses are very interesting. Um, like why are they finally coming in? And, and some of them are like I've just I've reached my threshold. I've reached my endpoint. Mm. Of not feeling um, pleasure anymore or just feeling so uncomfortable or in such pain or, you know, I don't want my partner to feel like it's them. It's it's not even me as much as it's like my own body kind of turning against me. Mm. What it also has done is that when I see patients outside of the V-spot, now it allows me to open up this conversation to them because I know a lot of women are suffering in silence and they're so surprised sometimes. They're like, oh, no doctor has ever asked me that before, like, you know, mm. about my orgasms or about, like, you know, my vaginal dryness, like, thank you for bringing this up. So, I this is our goal at the V-Spot is to bring this more forward. Like, if you were to come in, you would see that we have even affirmations, like, you know, mm. just plastered all over the place of power and confidence and, and we have this one sign that says, I did it for me, which I think is so powerful because even just as of last week, a woman was like, she came in and she was like, I'm doing this for me and I've been wanting to do this for so long. So um, it really is a luxury for me as a doctor to be at a place like that where the conversation is is already from the very beginning where we're able to address the concern and the tabooness of everything as well. What's interesting is like, so much of
1: the experience that we have with our vagina should be associated with pleasure. And when that pleasure starts to to fade or is, you know, scientifically or medically not achievable, it, it is a point of concern, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, not acceptable for most humans. And so, you know, how do you explore that conversation of pleasure, um, Dr. Grover? And I actually also want to pass that to you, Christine, as well, because I think, You know, as an artist, showing pleasure can also be sometimes interpreted as vulgarity or, you know, something Mm -hmm. so offensive or what have you. But I would love to hear from each of you kind of, you know, how you talk or address pleasure and, and what it means to you on your kind
2: of independent journeys as well. So I guess like pleasure in art, like it's one of my favorite things to draw. It looks so different for everyone. It's exciting. It's liberating to draw and also to see, to see art representing that. But I find like sharing that kind of art, sharing pleasurable art on social media, particularly which is where most of my community finds and sees my work and I think is one of the most important places for art to be seen because it's so regularly accessible. I don't know, it's like also grappling with, I don't know, algorithms, community guidelines, blah, blah, blah. And it's just perceived sometimes as like vulgar. This is horrible. This shouldn't be seen. This shouldn't be depicted. But then also we run into the risk of a lot of artists. Are those comments that people are saying to you? Oh, it depends. It depends. So it's platform based. But then also like from users, it depends who stumbles across my art. A lot of my community, I'm fortunate enough that they've been following me from the jump. So they kind of know what Mm. my perception is and where I'm coming from in my art. But then sometimes someone will come across my art and they're unfamiliar. And so sometimes you'll get comments like, oh, this is vulgar. This, This is horrible. I need to report this artwork. Sometimes artwork will be taken down. And then things like that then go into the algorithm and then it's kind of, I don't know, a lot of artists run the risk of their accounts being deleted, shadow banned, removed without cause, like just primarily for depicting pleasure, particularly of women experiencing pleasure. And it's just kind of, I don't know, it's just quite illuminating and shows like a larger societal problem and perception problem and I guess openness about pleasure being a problem.
1: You know, what's interesting to me, too, is the, the the obvious link between pleasure and mental health, which is whether mm-hmm. it's the actual act of having an orgasm or the relationship with knowing what you like and what you don't like. That's a sense of kind of security. And so, Christine, I'm going to start kind of with you. And I know that this is of huge importance to you Is is creating that obvious link between being in one's body and their mental health and kind of that journey of empowerment. So uh, I would love for you to kind of speak to how you're crafting that and that what, what that relationship actually means to you as a human.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It just feels very important to kind of like feel within your body, feel present. I think at the moment it's quite interesting because it's I don't know. I feel like across the board, we're exhausted, we're tired. A lot of us are dissociating constantly to kind of Mm -hmm. cope. So I think like the notion of like pleasure and mental health is quite interesting because it's like, I don't know, connecting with our physical selves just offers such a moment of, I don't know, connection, presentness, feeling like we're back in ourselves and just like provides so much to our like sense of like, not humanity. That sounds a bit much, but like, A sense of, I don't know, knowing who we are, feeling at one with ourselves almost. I think it's really easy to kind Mm -hmm. of breeze through our days and not really be conscious or present, which impacts our mental health big time massively. But then even in like senses of like mental illness, like it can really exacerbate how devastating that can be as well. Yeah, so it's it's very important to be kind of I guess physically connected, and I guess like if you're in a moment or a space or have a condition where like you can't physically connect with yourself, it would just impact so much, surely.
1: Right, and I think that that's like a, a pretty natural handoff, if you will, Christine, to Dr. Grover and her work, and in terms of. This idea of you know coming to a doctor and saying I'm totally disassociated from my vagina, I'm totally disassociated from my body, I'm not achieving these things that you know make me feel good fundamentally, or frankly, I look at my body and I don't know that it's mine. And so I think mm. that's really interesting. Like uh, Dr. Grover, how you and the V Spot kind of cater to that mental health discourse and what that process looks like as well. Because for me, I think that there's also probably a negative cultural connotation with a lot of the work that you guys do as well, right? Like, well, the vagina doesn't have to be this perfect vessel. It doesn't have to be beautified. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be all of these things. But if the human who is in that is feeling otherwise, then they should be entitled to exploring that and feeling better and reinstating that relationship with themselves. So that was just a personal anecdote, but I'd love to hear your thoughts.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing because there is such a psychosomatic connection, you know, that we always try to address. Like, it's what came first, really, The in this situation. Like, did the feeling of just, like, you know, feelings of, of depression or anxiety or just down or life experiences, has that catapulted towards some of these symptoms? And sometimes it is. Like, I mean, we've had women that had underwent genital mutilation in, mm. you know, And then we've had women that were raped and they come and they have such a disassociation with feeling that pleasure. And all they do is feel pain and Mm. some of them feel like they're forced to pretend to feel pleasure to please their spouses. Um, We had another patient that was raised in such a strict household and and I was actually able to relate to her a lot and she got married and in this situation, um, you know, she hasn't been able to bond with her husband mm. because she's still feeling that familial shame. And then what what ends up happening is that, okay, physiologically, like once you feel whatever it is that you're feeling mentally, your pelvic floor muscles are tensing up. You're you're not going to feel so like lubricated. So now that's causing vaginal dryness. And now that's creating like this loop mechanism that's signaling back to your brain, like this is painful. I don't Mm want to do this. So the other reverse part of that is when you start to feel because, you know, of the vaginal dryness due to your hormonal fluctuations or the diminished orgasms, now that's coming first. And now that's signaling to your brain that this is painful. So now you don't want to do it again. And that's causing further types of mental health anguish as well. So we always try to address that because I think that's really important. Um, Also like being that Hormones are such key players in women when they come in. We also treat hormones and it's life-changing for a lot of them because if you have diminished testosterone, you're going to have diminished libido, you're going to have diminished Mm -hmm. orgasms and that's going to lead to vaginal discomfort and also because of the estrogen. So why not also help with the root cause of issues as well? And for some of them, it's a complete turnaround with their mental outlook afterwards because now they're getting the replacements, but then they're also getting the technology that they need in conjunction with that. Now that positive outlook. So sometimes it's nice to kind of see that switch as well. Well, since we're here, should we
1: talk about pain? Yes. <laughs> I think we're going down the pain route very, very organically, which is great. I mean, I think we we have an understanding of, you know, what pleasure is and and some of the nuances of that. I think that the pain is really the kind of hidden element, right? Because it, mm-hmm. it, it sort of pairs quite nicely with the relationship we already have with our vagina, which is sometimes shame, sometimes I don't know. You know, like we've said multiple times, can't quite name it, etc. But it's becoming more common that, you know, PMS is painful. And then the lived experiences post-menstruation are equally as painful or, you know, childbirth and all of that stuff. But I, Dr. Grover, I don't know if you could potentially cast a light on more of the, maybe some of the scientific or experiences that people come to you with that are, that are pain. And and, and so we can teach our listeners a bit more about that as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I guess we can even start from like postpartum and then I can walk you guys through postmenopausal. But even postpartum, sometimes women, when um, they have vaginal tearing during labor, that tearing doesn't heal properly. Mm-hmm. So even if they feel like they it has during intercourse, it'll start to tear again. So that's definitely um, a type of pain that they're experiencing. And then that can also be a sign of diminished estrogen. Another type of pain is a condition called lichen sclerosis, which is very debilitating. It's really around the vulva and upon the opening the cells, they're indistinguishable. They kind of like blend in together and then can cause like this like scarry type of tissue, like very thick and it just doesn't expand anymore mm. and it can become very itchy. And basically then the opening can even become smaller or the clitoris can fuse with the vulva. It's such a plethora of conditions. And then the fancy terminology of vaginal atrophy, <laughs> So, um, which is that is vaginal dryness due to lack of lubrication um, because the cells are not able to create lubrication anymore. There's not that much collagen left over. There's not that much estrogen. And also if they're having diminished orgasms, then that's also not going to create enough lubrication. So it's really a constellation of so many different things Mm -hmm. that can lead to the pain. And
1: then I guess, Christine, on your end, like when you're thinking about speaking to things as let's call them ordinary as PMS to, you know, all, all the way to something like Dr. Grover noted, um, IE, you know, dryness, like how are you kind of illustrating those lived experiences?
2: Yeah, well, it really kind of varies. I did this illustration somewhat recently where it was basically depicting, I guess, our experiences pre and during periods, uh, so PMS and just like general period pain. And it was just like, I put like a bunch of arrows off a person that was kind of like clutching their stomach, mm. um, with a few experiences that I had and had heard. And then in the comments, I kind of like invited everyone to be like, okay, well, like, what else could we add to this? What else would you point an arrow to? And the comments like flooded through and there was just like so many experiences and it's almost like overwhelming, like how much like, We don't learn about a bunch of these things, but then also like how much there is to be represented, I guess, in our art, our education, just our access to such information. But yeah, it really kind of depends. Sometimes it's like a lighthearted illustration of someone in bed with like maybe water, painkillers, X, Y, Z. Sometimes it's a bit more nuanced and tries to capture what the pain looks like or feels like and is more of an emotional drawing um sometimes it's humorous and just kind of makes fun of just how wild our experience can sometimes be um living with PMS or menstruating and all these kinds of things
1: awesome all right well we're going to be wrapping up here um i think that for you know kind of a closing conversation mm-hmm. it would be awesome to just round this out by you know you know, what do we think are some of the kind of practical ways that we can learn to embrace our vagina, embrace the pain and pleasure, and and find the ways to actively communicate what we're experiencing? So I'd love each of your thoughts on that question.
0: And I want to add to it, without shame, because all of these things are normal.
3: I think of when you were asking me that question, the first thing that came to my mind were the affirmations that we have at our at the V Spot. And And they just are so meaningful, like with empower and confidence. And like, I just feel like as women, we're worth so much more than what societal norms are telling us about how we should feel. You know, we should take ownership. And I wouldn't ever want a patient to feel like when they are experiencing something that's debilitating or concerning that they're not able to ask their doctor their doctor wants them to ask them that. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that's just what we want to do. We want to help. So this is definitely part of like that, that spectrum of wanting to help. And I think the more that patients feel comfortable asking and the more doctors feel comfortable asking and educating, then, you know, maybe in another five to 10 years, there's going to be, we won't even be having to have this conversation as to, why is it that they're not asking these questions? Because now it'll just be part of an, a conversation. It'll be just become a part of a normal, typical conversation when you're going to see your doctor.
2: Mm, I guess to that in like a, in the lens of what I do, I guess like, yeah, like unlearning shame is a huge part of kind of existing with our vaginas and kind of feeling empowered through them. Um, I guess Things started to shift for me when I started being more conscious and present of the environments I was in, particularly in digital spaces. I think following and absorbing education and absorbing writings and I guess speakings from people you admire, respect and who hold like these positive, but also not necessarily even positive, just like honest, but empowering I guess messages around our bodies and ourselves and our experiences can be so life-changing and I feel like really sets you on the road of unlearning and questioning and questioning that shame that might have been really deeply embedded that maybe you didn't even realize was there after all this time but yeah I think being conscious of where you are and then also Mm -hmm. inviting more like art and representation into your space but then also into your subconscious by ingesting art and all of these creative practices it can actually really do a lot in the background Um, but yeah but unlearning number one unlearning is number one yeah i agree
1: awesome well it's been such a pleasure we're really grateful for both of your time and thank you for joining us today
2: thank you so much this was really lovely
0: Wow. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode today. We hope our conversation about embracing the vagina and all of its parts and bits and colors and tightness and all the things. We hope that you all enjoyed that. I know I enjoyed it because, you know, I love talking about vaginas like all day long. But Gigi, what was your biggest takeaway?
1: Oh, I also like talking about vaginas. I also think that it's become sort of a tactic for me to suss out people. Like, <laughs> if I say the word vagina, will it make you uncomfortable? If it does, piss off. Right. That's kind of where I'm at in life. I like but it. But I thought that this conversation was so rich because we were getting to the nucleus of things that are hidden. And it's crazy to me that we still live in an age where our vaginas are being policed even in the medium of art. And that was something that Christine uh, Pinkbit spoke a lot about, was just this notion of her growing up and feeling like there was this barrier to illustrating vaginas, maybe even to her own vagina, and then what it would be like to— illuminate it in everything that it's worth and bring that to the forefront of her art and to the conversations. And I think that that's really powerful. And it's like interesting because it's while you have this very deep discourse of all of the hidden experiences, on the other side, you have the V-spot, which is literally anchored in this idea of like, take care of your vagina, talk about your vagina, like your vagina needs to be tended to. And so it's such, such an interesting thing that, Again, kind of, it can be this very hidden thing that makes us feel like we're alone or devalued. And then all the way on the other end of the spectrum, something that needs to be, like, tended to and loved on and— And and chosen. And chosen. Right. Totally. Because you can
0: literally choose what you want, how you want it to look, how tight you want it to be, how— Whatever you want, right? I think that that's really beautiful.
1: I could not agree more. And I think that, like, one thing is, is that it's so important to have medical expertise in the room when you're talking about a body part that has—it's so volatile, right? Right. Like, it is, it's at the behest of, like, all these wild things in the world. And so it's really important to have— a medical voice in the room that can say like, hey, first and foremost, love your vagina at all costs. Secondly, what can we do to make that relationship more potent and more powerful? And I think that that's really meaningful because we think, again, in such binary terms about doctors that they don't have the capacity to be human or to see your vagina in all its
0: Glory Glory. and beautifulness.
1: But also sometimes in its shittiness and how like it can fucking suck to have a vagina sometimes. It can.
0: It can, especially if you've had children, whether it's you've had surgery, whether it's you're just over it. You know, it could be from a multitude of things. So no, I mean, we have a whole business built around, right? How vaginas can suck sometimes, right? Only the key to... It not sucking is having access to tools like Honeypot, having access to tools like the V-spot, right? And having access to the doctors that will actually not just treat you like you're just one of their patients, but that actually respect you as a human with a vagina. For you to create the space and the look and the feel and all the things that you want for yourself. I think that that's so dope.
1: So I think what's really interesting is we also talked about, you know, orgasms, libido, this— Vast conversation around pleasure. And I think what's interesting is that pleasure is also punctuated by different times in your life, right? Like when you are younger, let's say maybe your first exploration with pleasure is masturbation, and you're like, wow, this feels good. Or even that subtle tingle in your root chakra, and you're just like, ooh, (laughs) that needs to be satisfied. What do I do? And so, and then that progresses to like having potentially, penetrative sex and all of those things and learning more about what pleasure is. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe you reproduce and you have a back to your point about, like, the way the vagina adapts. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you're at this point in your life where you're like, I have diminished libido. Yeah. Or I don't know how to achieve an orgasm, and which can happen at any point. It can, point. at any age. So I think that, that it's also interesting that we then start to link your relationship with your vagina to these various inflection points with Mm -hmm. pleasure and potentially pain. Unfortunately,
0: which happens more times than not. Yeah. You know, unfortunately. And it isn't something that people talk about. Right. You know, to say that you have sex, or excuse me, to say that you have pain when you're making love, doesn't matter who you're making love to, right? That's not an easy thing to fess up to. No because we're not taught that it's okay first of all to feel that way, you know. So
1: Well, less about taught that it's okay to feel that way. We don't even know it's coming.
0: We we don't, but I'm just saying but when it does come, the right. shame the shame the of shame course. that comes into the conversation as well yeah you know
1: another thing that I thought was cool that pink bits Christine is able to do through her work is also show different bodies yes so on that kind of external basis assuming that perhaps they have a vagina but like that different bodies engage in sex and they love sex and that's okay too
0: um thank you so much. Everybody. Thank you, Gigi.
1: Thank you. I love
0: love love talking to you. I love you. And thank you, Pink Bits. And thank you, Dr. Monica Grover. We truly, truly, truly appreciate you. You know, and thank you to all the beautiful humans that are listening to this. Yeah, we love you.
3: We love you. We'll see you soon.
1: Thanks for listening to The Honey Pot Luck, a podcast by The Honey Pot Company, made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, B Dixon. And I'm your co-host, Javon Alfieri. We're so grateful to have you here. We love you. Mean it. Thoughts and experiences recounted in this episode are hosts own. Alana Hurlins and Lizzie Stewart are our producers.
0: Laura Boyman is our associate producer. Sydney Evans is our dialogue editor and mixer.
1: A major thank you to everyone who makes this podcast possible.